a little bit about me. I am ethnically Chinese, but I was born in the Philippines, and I grew up in Texas. So I'm culturally confused as to where I'm supposed to be. But I'm a summon of pastor, but I was one of those pastor's kids that didn't end up well. Uh, you know, pastor's kids either end up really, really good or really, really bad. And uh, I ended up on the other spectrum of being really bad and being a rebel and, and just being uh, someone who's really rebellious. And if not by the grace of God, I wouldn't be standing here this morning. So I'm privileged to be here as well. In my rebellious years, I, I, I demanded of God, I told God, there are three no's in my life. I never wanted to be a pastor. I never, ever wanted to return back to the Philippines. And because of my own internal biases, I never wanted to marry someone Asian. Well, if you now know about my life, I am serving as a pastor in the Philippines, married to someone who's Asian. Someone said, if you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. <laughs> but anyway, what a privilege it is to be here. There is one thing that crosses all cultures, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he died on the cross for my sins and your sins, and that by trusting in him, we have eternal life. What a wonderful, blessed hope we have. One of the things that I've noticed as I've traveled around the world is that somehow in this generation, young and old, just simply saying the 21st century, that the fervor to evangelize, to share the word of God, is unfortunately diminishing. Somehow in our culture, because we are so busy with what we have, we are not uh, beholden to the Great Commission. We don't, quote-unquote, sell Jesus as he needs to be and present him as, to the world as he needs to be. For those of you who are businessmen or business owners or work for someone, you know that there are three important elements to consider when you want to sell something. First of all, there is attitude. Do you have a sales force or are you a salesperson that has a winning attitude? Imagine if you were to go to a shoe shop and uh, buy shoes from someone. And the one who's serving you, as you ask for your size in that particular model, tells you, I'm so sorry, the size that you want is way up there in the closet, up in the back room. I don't have the time or want to go get it for you. Just pick from the shoes that have your size here in the showroom. Would you want to buy shoes from that some person? Absolutely not. Attitude is important. The second aspect of selling something is the product itself. Is the product any good? You know, living out in Asia for the past 13 years, Asians are really good at counterfeit stuff. It's always funny to me that if they want to mimic things like Rolex watches, at least spell it correctly. There are a lot of Rolex watches, very few Rolexes. And they try to sell you these things, they can't even get the spelling right. You know, growing up in Texas, you know, playing football and baseball, I'm in Asia, what they call American-sized. And I don't even go shopping in Asia because it's a depressing, depressing process. Have you heard of the store called H&M? H&M is one of those big stores they have all across the U.S., especially in Asia. I don't go in there. The largest size they have is XL, and you say, what's wrong with that? The problem is, in Asia, an American XL is an Asian 5XL. So you feel really bad when you go there, when they tell you, sir, we don't have anything in your size. And so there's no reason to buy the product. Is the product good for all people? 
The third aspect of selling that any business person can tell you, whether you go to business school or not, is that they'll tell you you need to know your target audience. Do you have a specific group of people who need your product? Are you trying to sell appliance to people who don't have electricity? Are you trying to sell winter coats to people who live in the tropics? You see, failure to consider attitude, product, and a target group in sales will invariably lead to what we call failure. Now, as it relates to what we call selling, the good news of Jesus Christ, have we considered attitude, have we considered the product, and have we considered the target group? Now, I don't want you to try to think that we've got to sell Jesus to manipulate someone into accepting him. We don't have to sell Jesus. He sells himself. People are to freely come to know Christ. The person of Jesus sells himself. But for the sake of the message this morning, let's put it in the context of selling Jesus to the world and putting ourselves in the context of salespeople. I want you to look with me in the Gospel of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 31. We're going to exposit these verses. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. And it's interesting that in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 31, Luke presents three sequential events. Now, these three sequential events in Luke 5, verses 12 to 32, may seem random to you. But as we look through these three events, we're going to see that it addresses the issue of attitude, it addresses the issue of product, and it addresses the issue of target group. Now, the first thing we want to consider is attitude. As you've heard it said before, attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. One of my favorite stories is told of a woman who woke up one morning. She looked in the mirror and she noticed that she only had three strands of hair on her head. As she looked in the mirror, most of us would be depressed if we only had three strands of hair on our head. But she looked in the mirror and she said, well, I think I'll braid my hair today. And so she did and she had a wonderful day. Well, the next day she woke up and one of the strands of her hair had fallen out. And she saw in the mirror that she only had two strands of hair on her head. Hmm, she thought as she looked in the mirror. I think I'll part my hair down the middle. And so she did and she had a grand all day. The next day she woke up, she looked in the mirror, and she noticed that one of the strands of hair had fallen out, and she only had one strand of hair on her head. And she looked in the mirror, she said, well, I think I'm going to wear my hair in a ponytail. And so she did, and she had a fun, fun day. The next day she woke up, and she looked in the mirror, and all her hair had fallen out. There wasn't a single hair on her head. Yay, she exclaimed, I don't need to fix my hair this morning. Attitude is everything. Look at verse 12 with me of Luke chapter 5. And it happened when he was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and he fell on his face and implored Jesus saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus enters an unnamed city and meets a man full of leprosy. Now, while this disease is no longer much of an issue today, Leprosy, as many of you know, in those days meant that you were an outcast. For those of you who don't know, leprosy is caused by a bacteria. It produces disfiguring skin sores, nerve damages, and muscle weakness. And so in the time of Jesus, if you had this disease, it meant that you were cast out of the society. You had to live by yourself or you had to live in leper colonies. You were to suffer 
alone. This man happened to hear that Jesus was coming. And he runs into Jesus. And he implores Jesus to make him clean, to heal him. Look at his question in verse 12. If you are willing, Jesus, I know you can do it, but do you want to do it? Now, I want you to notice Jesus' reply in verse 13. Look with me. He doesn't say a word first. Look what he does, verse 13. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the Bible tells us, the leprosy left him. I want to ask you something this morning. Did Jesus have to touch that man for his leprosy to be healed? No. He could have said, be cleansed. And that man would have been healed. Why did Jesus touch this man before he uttered any words? You see, the act of touching this man, Jesus ran, as was common thought that day, of contracting that disease. That's why lepers were to yell out, unclean, unclean, if anyone approached them. Jesus could have simply said, leper be healed, and then given him a hug after he was healed. However, Jesus showed his willingness to heal the man he felt compassion for. Remember the question, if you are willing. And Jesus showed through his action a willingness to heal this man, to reach out to this man, even Risking his own health. You see, when we want to reach out to the lost in our community, in our spheres of influence, many are willing. If I were to ask you, how many of you have a desire to fulfill the Great Commission? All of you, I'm sure, would raise your hand. Many are willing. It's a great start. But there must be an attitude of sacrificial willingness. You see, willingness is more than simply a desire to help others or reach out to them. A willingness that seeks the lost and the hurting is a willingness that must be sacrificial. Willingness out of your convenience is very different from a willingness out of your inconvenience. If I were to ask you, or if Pastor Mike were to ask you, would you help clean up the church? Would you help mop the church floors? He's very convincing, wonderful pastor, as I've gotten to know him this morning. I think a lot of you would volunteer. But if you were to ask you, would you be able to help me mop the floor on Super Bowl Sunday? And it just so happened the Bengals were playing. It's an example, I know. Or how about something more tangible? Final Four, Kentucky, Louisville. You'd probably say, well, pastor... After the game, perhaps. Or what if you were to ask you, help me on Christmas morning. We wouldn't admit it, but we'd probably have a second thought. On a weekend, when we have nothing else to do, sure, no problem. You see, the problem of our busy generation, wherever you live, everyone's busy. That's the buzzword today. How are you busy? Because somehow busy connotes that we are important. No one ever says, well, how are you? Well, I have nothing better to do with my time. You got anything for me to do? No one says stuff like that. Everyone's simply busy. The problem for many Christians today is they have all a willing heart. They all have an extent, a desire to reach the lost, but at our own convenience, at our own time, at our own place. And that 
sort of willingness is so conditioned in our convenience that Satan doesn't have to do very much to prevent the work of the Great Commission. What does he do? He just makes us busy. He just has to give us a lot of fun things to do, a lot of things to do, events to go to, so that as we're trapped in the busyness of life, that our willingness to spread the gospel and serve God, to reach the lost, is lost in the priorities of our life. When you and I understand sacrificial willingness, then you and I will be able to do what's required to reach the lost in the world. Like our illustration this morning, you know what separates shoe salesmen who aren't bothered to go to the back and get the shoes of your size and simply tell you we're out of stock to those shoe salespeople who when you go in and you try nine pairs of shoes and then you say, I'm just looking and you don't buy anything and they smile and tell you, it's wonderful having you here. Those are the people you know have cultivated this attitude of sacrificial willingness. What are you and I willing to do? Do we sacrifice out of our convenience or out of our inconvenience? Look at verse 17 with me. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out to every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. In this next sequential event in the Gospel of Luke, he describes a day where Jesus was teaching in a house that was full of people listening. In verse 17, we're told that the experts of the Jewish religious laws called the Pharisees and other teachers from all the regions of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem had gathered to hear the amazing teaching of Jesus. It was a situation that was standing room only. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 18. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed to the tiling into the midst before Jesus. Now, I know this is a favorite story of those of you who grew up in Sunday school. Man brought a paralyzed man to come and see Jesus. But because the house was so full of people, they couldn't get close to Jesus or have Jesus pay attention to this paralytic man. And so in their desperation for this man to see Jesus, they climbed on the rooftop, took off the roof tiling, and lowered this paralyzed man down by ropes so that Jesus could notice him. Have any of you been so desperate that you took off roof tiling to have someone come to know Jesus? Probably not. You know you'd probably be sued. But more than the action of the roof tile... What extra effort have you gone out of your way to do to have someone come to know Jesus? You see, that goes to the question of your desperation. How desperate are you to see your family and friends come to know this Jesus that you know? This is what makes great salespeople they know that their product is good. And they are desperate to try it. And they are desperate for others to try it as well. So that they too can benefit from a product they know is good. Let's talk about desperation based on a product. 
again, I love sports. I grew up playing football and baseball, and so it's great to be in America here. Uh, let's say, for example, that uh, the Bengals, if they were really good, um, I'm sorry. We, we've won our share of championships, but anyway. <laughs> or the Reds, whoever. They, they've got some great years. Let's say they were giving free tickets out. 20,000, 5,000 tickets. Let's be practical. To the first 5,000 people, you can go to Paul Brown Stadium and get free tickets. I know Americans. Some of you guys would camp out one day, two day. Some of you would you know, stay up all night with just the chance to be able to get some free tickets to watch a football game. Would you do the same for the University of Kentucky's football team? Maybe. Would you do it for your high school football team? Probably not. Well, let's replace football with music. Let's say Taylor Swift, she's famous here. Would you desperately line up for the possibility of getting free tickets to listen to her. But what if the headline act was me? Would you pay money to hear me sing? Probably not. I'd probably have to pay you to come listen to me sing. Now, what is the reason for the desperation? What's the difference? The difference is in the product. It's in the product. If the product is good, you will be desperate to get it. If the product isn't good, then you wouldn't put in the effort. So look at your own lives as I look in my own lives. If Jesus is so great, and we're all here on a Sunday to proclaim the greatness of who he is, why aren't we more desperate to have people come to know him? Because I know there's a pill that allows you to lose weight without exercising all that you want and have no side effect, and it's free and it works 100% of the time, I'd be sharing it every day. But if there is that product, please do let me know. So what is the product Jesus is offering that should make men and women so desperate to see him and for others to see him? Take a look at verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, I want you to see something here. Jesus said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now I want to stop here. Why did these men bring the paralytic man and took off the roof tiles and lowered him down to come and see Jesus? They wanted him to no longer be paralyzed, right? They wanted him to be able to walk. Can you imagine the surprise? Verse 20, when Jesus looks at this man and says to him, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't tell us, get up and walk. He doesn't tell him, get up and walk. He tells this man and all those listening, your sins are forgiven you. That is the product that Jesus offers. He forgives sin. And I'm sorry, but I've heard a lot of gospel messages that unfortunately is not the gospel message. They say if you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're going to be really blessed. Jesus did not come to earth to bless you financially. Some people accept Jesus with the notion that if they accept Jesus, they will be physically healed from all of diseases and sickness. Can Jesus cure the sick? Absolutely. But did he come on earth to heal every person on this earth? No. 
The Bible tells us that the sole single product that Jesus offers the world is that he forgives sin. He tells that man, I can't offer you anything, but your sins are forgiven you. He sees their faith. Look at verse 21 and 23. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise up and walk? The Pharisees and the leaders who were gathered there were infuriated that since only God can forgive sin, Jesus offering this was claiming his divinity. And so Jesus, knowing what they were mumbling and rambling about, asks them, which is easier to do, to show an invisible work of forgiving sin or the visible work of having a paralytic man walk? And to authenticate his message, because that's what miracles are. The miracles of Jesus were to authenticate his life-changing message. Jesus responds to them in verse 24. What does he say in verse 24? Look with me. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Jesus, to authenticate that he could forgive sin, told the paralyzed man to get up, and he gets up, rolls up his bed, and goes home. The emphasis is not on the miraculous healing of the paralytic man. The emphasis of the truth of this section is that Jesus has the ability to forgive sin. You know, there are a lot of great singers out there. There are a lot of great NFL, NBA games. But there is only one who can forgive sin. And you and I should be desperate to see him. And to be desperate enough that others would see him as well. Because if you and I were to go to a hospital and you see that people are physically dying and you alone have that cure, would you not be pleading with them to take what can cure them? In the same way, when you look at the world today, men and women are dying spiritually every day. And you have a product that works 100% of the time that is for all ethnicities and for all age groups and for all people. And it is absolutely free. Would you not go and share with them about Jesus Christ? The third aspect of any good sales is knowing the target group. You know that, I'm sure that you know that U.S. marketers target only to a select age group. They select to the, from the 18 to the 49-year-olds. And so if you are out of this age group, I'm so sorry. America is not marketing to you. Because they think that 18-year-olds to 49-year-olds are what is driving the consumer market. Why do they pick that age range? 
because they feel that people under 18 simply don't have the money to buy any of their products. And people over 50, although I'm sure you disagree, simply are too old. They're too set in their ways. They won't spend. So they know their target group. And if you were in sales or you had a business, you would want to know your target group. And you would pick a demographic or a group that is the most coveted, the rich one, the ones with the most capacity and the most capability. I have written to H&M in Asia. I've told them, do you know that if you increase your size to 3 or 4XL, your sales would increase because people like me and all the fat people in Asia would come to your store. But they still have not figured this out. <laughs> Jesus made it clear in verse 27 in this third of Luke's sequential writings of a group that he was going to target specifically. Look at verse 27. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And so he left all, rose up and followed him. After the healing of the leper and the paralyzed man, Jesus sees Levi. He's a tax collector sitting in his office and he calls him out to come and follow him. Here's a man who is spurned and hated by all tax collectors in those days and perhaps a little bit today are hated because... In those days, they were corrupt. Many Jews thought that tax collectors were traitors because they were helping the oppressive Roman Empire. They were being reminded of their subjugation under them. And so the Bible tells us that regardless, Jesus calls out to Levi. Look at verse 29. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. Levi is so honored that the local celebrity preacher had reached out to him that he threw a feast in Jesus' honor. Of course, who does Levi invite? His friends. And who are all of his friends? Fellow tax collectors. I've asked one of my friends who does indeed work for the IRS in Washington, D.C. and said, I'm just curious. If you were to take a sample of all of your friends, what occupation would they have? And she told me, most of my friends are fellow IRS agents. I said, doesn't other people want to make friends with you? They do, but when they find out I work for the IRS, they don't want to be my friends anymore. Well, it is natural that Levi only has friends who are tax collectors. And Jesus meets with them and look at the scribes and the Pharisees, verse 30. And the scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. The religious leaders saw a group of people who were imperfect in their minds, sinners in their minds, and they commented, why in the world would this great rabbi, this great teacher, want to associate with people like that? And Jesus makes it abundantly clear, I have come out to reach sinners. And he uses a great analogy that only those who are sick seek out doctors or need doctors, but those who are well, they don't need doctors. What Jesus was saying is, I'm here to offer something to those who really need it. Jesus offered the ability, the product, to forgive sin. And so his target group is sinners. Sinners. Of which all of us 
are. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I minister in the Philippines, which is a predominantly Roman Catholic nation. If they're not Roman Catholic, then they are Buddhist. And both religions teach that through good works, you can be saved. It's hard at times because I share with them the gospel and they tell me, Steve, I'm a good person. I'm a really good person. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't stolen anything. I give to charity. And in many ways, their quote-unquote goodness is so much better than some of the Christians running around the Philippines. They're really good people. But the Bible tells us that it doesn't matter how good you are. There is no amount of good works that can overcome your bad works. If the requirements of heaven is pure righteousness, and God on his throne is going to judge us for every word that comes out of our mouth, every thought that comes out of our mind, every action that comes out of our hands. When you think about that, and you begin to make a laundry list of all the good works and the bad works, you realize the bad outweighs the good. And that's why the Bible tells us Jesus Christ came, and you know this, to save sinners. And it's a wonderful thing that Jesus reached out to this man called Levi, because you know his name also as Matthew. And Matthew is the one who writes the gospel of Matthew. And Matthew is the one who tradition tells us brings the gospel message to as far a place as India. And that's why there's a wonderful Christian population in India where some of you are going on a mission trip. And that's why there are many people on the subcontinent of India whose last names are Matthew in honor of this man who was despised by his community, and yet Jesus reached out to him and said, follow me. Jesus comes to reach out to a group known as sinners. What about you? It's great to be in church. It's great to have Christian friends. I love Christian fellowship. It is sweet. But look at your friends that you hang out with. Are there any sinners? Are there any unbelievers in your workplace, in your school, that God has placed you in where you can bring the gospel to them? Because Jesus Christ came to save you and to save them, those on the fringe of faith. There's a well-known marketing test. It is known uh, as uh, Rodrigo's test. It's written by Alexis Rodrigo. And he writes an article entitled, Five Common Mistakes Businesses Make with Their Target Market. And he uses this illustration. If you were selling hamburgers, and I know it's close to lunchtime. If you were selling hamburgers, and let's say you got a franchise to White Castle or McDonald's or Burger King. And as you're establishing this burger franchise, and you could wish for one thing that would guarantee your store's success... What one thing would you ask for? Most people would say location. Give me a franchise in a great location off the interstate. Because we've heard that it's all about location, location, location. And Rodrigo says, no, that's not the answer. Others would say, maybe I want a franchise that is located next to an area where people have money to burn. People with capacity. People were rich. And he also says the answer is wrong. He says maybe, as others would 
note. Perhaps we need a chain with a mascot or a blimp or some gimmick that will drive people in. And he says, no. Would you like to know the one aspect of marketing that if you were to open a store of any type, especially a hamburger store, that would guarantee your store success? And Rodrigo says, that one element that will guarantee success is a hungry crowd. If you have a hungry crowd, it will drive your store's success. When you've identified the right target market for your product, selling shouldn't be a big struggle. You don't have to cajole or to educate or to manipulate. Why? Because they're already looking for it. Have you ever noticed commercials on TV for hamburger and pizza? It's not a commercial about top five reasons why you should eat a hamburger. Top five reasons why pizzas are healthy for you. You know they're not. What do those commercials often look like? It's simply a giant hamburger that rotates. Did you ever notice that? In every commercial, McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, and I love fast food. That's why I'm what I am. The wonderful part about living in Asia and in Manila with a, six, uh, a city of over 16 million people is that every fast food delivers 24 hours to your house. You know those commercials, right? We have them too. It's literally that hamburger, the giant one that just kind of slowly rotates. The oil is glistening, right? The lettuce is crisp. The, uh, you can almost taste uh, how fresh the bun is. And that's all it is. And there's some sort of tagline that simply says, hungry. That's all it is. Same with pizza. It slowly rotates. And did you ever notice that those commercials are not held during dinner time or lunch time? It's always an hour before. Because if they show those commercials after, no one's hungry anymore. But an hour or two before lunchtime or dinner time, you've got a hungry crowd going. And that's why that insatiable pull to go out and grab a bite to eat. When it comes to marketing, we preach to the choir if it's a bunch of Christians. However, Jesus offers a wonderful product to a people that needs it. And if we don't bring that message to the target group called sinners, of which we are one of them, then the gospel is never spread. How much time do you spend in the church? How much time do you spend with non-believers with the intention of sharing your faith with them? If you want to reach people for Christ, then you need to be with people who need him. Let me close with this story and I'm done. There once was a man who lived by the side of the road. He sold hot dogs. I'm sorry, all the illustrations are food related. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but it's coming up to lunchtime. Anyway, this man who sold hot dog, he sold great hot dog. He was hard of hearing and so he had no radio. He had trouble with his eyes and so he read no newspaper. And of course, he didn't look at television. But he sold very good hot dogs. He put up signs on the highway telling one how great his hot dogs were. He stood by the side of the road and he cried out to all who passed by, buy a hot dog, they are the best in town. And people bought his hot dogs. And as people bought his hot dogs and sales increased, he increased his meat and bun orders to meet the need. He even bought a bigger stove to take care of all the extra business he was getting. 
business was so big that he had to bring in some help. And so he brought in his son to come and help him out with his business. But then something happened. His son had been well-educated, came back to help. And he said to the father, the son did, Father, haven't you been listening to the radio or reading the newspaper or watching television? There's a big recession happening right now. The current business situation is terrible in our country. We have problems with unemployment, high living costs, strikes, pollutions, the influence of minorities, the influence of majorities, the rich, the poor, drugs, alcoholism, capitalism, communism. We've got a lot of problems. Upon which his father thought, well, my son has been very well educated. He reads the papers, listens to the radio and watches television. So he ought to know. And so, not wanting to be caught up by the recession, his father cut down his meat and bun orders. He took down all of his advertising signs and no longer bothered to stand by the side of the road to promote and sell his hot dogs because who would buy hot dogs during a recession? And you know what happened? His hot dog sales fell almost overnight. And the father said to his son, Son, you're right. We certainly are in the middle of a recession. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. The so-called experts of our world today tells us that the gospel message is not relevant in our community today. Believe what you want to believe. There is truth in everything. The experts tell us the gospel message does not resonate with the millennial generation. The experts tell us evangelism doesn't work anymore. People don't want to be manipulated. They don't want to be cajoled. And so somehow, unfortunately, we believers have bought in to these lies. And then we also somehow bring to reality what wasn't reality. And we have succumbed to the lies that evangelism is hard. And spreading the gospel and sharing Jesus is not worth our time. And so overnight, evangelism is on the decline. I want to challenge you, especially here in this part of Kentucky. I love country churches. You say, what exposure do you have to country churches? I grew up in Texas. Living in the big city is wonderful. There are a lot of things to do. But it's so hard to minister in big cities and in communities that believe that somehow... Jesus is one of many ways to get to heaven. It is here in churches like this where the gospel truth is still being preached. Where the gospel message can still work its way into the community. Where men and women like you understand that you don't need to buy in to what the world says is truth. Because you hold truth here. And there is but one way, and his name is Jesus Christ. The product you have is an amazing product. It is one of a kind. It is the only one that forgives sin. His name is Jesus. And the big city folks, they may not want to hear it. People in America, unfortunately in post-Christianity America, may not want to hear it. But there are still billions of people called sinners like you and me who need to hear the gospel message. 
And so it is incumbent upon you, my friends, to cultivate a life of sacrificial willingness to live out of your inconvenience so that the gospel of Jesus may be perpetuated until he soon comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. There's even a challenge into my heart as well that I need to be reminded that the message I share is a message that does not get old. It is a message that resonates in this generation because this generation, like all previous generation, needs a savior. Continue to bless this church. Use it as a lighthouse in your community in this area, in this community, in this part of the state, and around the world to show forth the light of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that you would empower and challenge each man and woman, young and old, to take church and bring it to the schools of which they are a part, to the workplaces of which they serve you, into the homes where they go, and that the light of Christ may be seen. We are the recipients of grace because of our gratefulness. May we be challenged to fulfill the work of the Great Commission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.